Well, welcome to our live stream of Heavenly Memories. We're excited to be able to share this evening with you as we have another unique day in this time, uh, COVID-19 sheltering at home, but also to be reminded, as the scripture says, that this is not our home. We're aliens and strangers, and we get to talk about our true home tonight a little bit more, and that is heaven. I'm looking forward to the time, and as you should be able to see on your screen, you have the option tonight to text 919-229-9314 with any questions you may have about heaven. Uh, we're going to be talking about some particular things, and so as you're listening, maybe that sparks a question that you have that you'd like to send in. We may not be able to get to everyone's questions, but we'll try to get to those uh, that come in at least in order and uh, walk through those uh, this evening as well. But Andy, like you mentioned, we've been talking about these themes for a few weeks now, sure. and this is an opportunity for us to kind of venture out into a new aspect of yep. the same broad theme, but mm -hmm. just by way of review, can you give us a brief overview of the sure. premise of your book, just to kind of lay the foundation? Yeah, we go, I always start with Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and how we are to set our hearts on things above and things to come. And so it is, it is right for us to meditate on heaven, to think much about it, and especially in these times uh, of uncertainty, these times of challenge and, and uh, sorrow and sadness for some, and, and also uh, struggle uh, dealing with anxiety, to be able to think much about heaven is important. And so uh, for me, as I do, I've sought to m pursue this topic biblically and exegetically, to try to understand what the Bible says. And, and in my studies, I've come to the conclusion that heaven is all about the glory of God and that we, in that we will never be omniscient, will forever be learning about God's glory in heaven. And that an aspect of our learning will be God's past actions, namely in this present age and even beyond or before us, all of redemptive history will lie open before us that God will be a heavenly history teacher teaching us both the macro and the micro level, the big picture and details of all of the things he did to redeem a multitude from every tribe, language, people, and nation. We're going to look backward at the past when we get to heaven and see all of God's glorious actions. Mm. And that will be quite a day to look mm. back and see what God has done. So tonight we're going to talk about heavenly rewards. Andy, as soon as I mentioned that, some people probably squirmed in their seat a little bit with the idea of rewards. <clears throat> Why do you think some Christians are squeamish about this topic? Well, rewards, uh, you know, you hear sometimes even in songs. Uh, I remember a Keith Green song, My Only Reward is Bringing Glory to You. And, and that's a right way we should think this way. But I think sometimes people think that rewards are selfish <laughs> and uh, maybe even a little mercenary, um, that we don't do that... In, with each other, that when we try to love our, our spouses, when we try to love our kids, we're not looking for anything in return. We're not looking for any any reward, and so we just want to we want to be able to serve. So we don't want to be mercenary. We don't want to be in it for ourselves. So that can be a kind of a jaded uh, view of rewards, and so people can tend to be sometimes a little squeamish, like it's all about me or what am I going to get in return, all that kind of thing. So that may be why. Yeah. So in your book, you argue that rather than be squeamish, Christians. Mm -hmm actually must believe in rewards, desire them, seek them. What scripture would you use to support this statement? What can, what can be the, the scripture under our feet? Sure, there's a lot of verses in the New Testament about rewards, and we're going to spend some time in a minute in Matthew 6. That's probably the central reward chapter for me in the Bible, especially the verse 21 verses. But the reason that I think that we must believe in rewards comes from Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, 
it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe, number one, that he exists, and number two, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So we actually, it's not optional to believe in rewards. We actually need to believe in rewards in order to please him. But look at what the verse says. The reward uh, right there in the verse is him. We're seeking him. And so, therefore, the essence of reward, we're going to talk about this tonight, is more of an experience with God. It's a God-centered experience. And that we should actually want as much of that as we possibly can. To say to God, I don't really need any rewards, almost like we're holier than thou toward God. It's like, God, you didn't need to offer any rewards. I mean, that's really beneath me. I'm flying at a higher level of Christianity. I don't need any rewards. It's really, that's somewhat of an unbiblical attitude. So Hebrews 11.6 says we must believe that God rewards those who seek him. You know, Andy, it might be helpful. I think sometimes the things that make us squeamish or a little uncomfortable are because we, we just don't understand what we're talking about or what they are. We, we don't have a good definition. So if you could define rewards for us, how would you do that? Okay, so rewards are given by God on Judgment Day and for all eternity. And that's why I want you to look at, look at that and understand that our heavenly rewards are something we will cherish forever. That's their value. It's not something we just enjoy for a moment on Judgment Day and then kind of drop them and move on beyond them. No, we're actually going to experience them forever. And they will make, it, make up, I think, a big part of our heavenly experience. Fundamentally, for me, uh, rewards come down to a statement made by Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I think it is, where it says, at that time, each will receive his praise from God. So for me, th those three words, praise from God, or perhaps more broadly, honor from God, to be honored by God, that's the essence of reward. Along with that come perhaps some physical emblems of that, such as crowns, and there's a lot in the New Testament on crowns, we could talk some about that, but rewards fundamentally are God expressing his pleasure to you for something specifically you did while you were alive. So let me give some examples uh, that um, Jesus gives. For example, blessed are you, he says in the Beatitudes, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now first of all, imagine hearing that and then saying to Jesus, oh I don't really need any reward. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus actually wants you to rejoice and be glad because you're going to get a great reward. So the essence then in, in heaven is of looking back at brothers and sisters who were extremely persecuted, perhaps even martyred, for the sake of the gospel. And the things they did in space and time are remembered in heaven and honored and discussed. So that's fundamentally what the reward is for me. It is praise from God for something we did in service to God here on earth. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it helps us kind of set the, the framework for what we're talking about as we continue on. You know, you, you mentioned Hebrews when we're talking about right. scriptural support for why we must believe in rewards. Mm -hmm. What are some scriptures on the topic of rewards more generally? Sure. Well, I already mentioned the key chapter for me is Matthew chapter 6. And so anyone who's squeamish about rewards should just go and, and kind of marinate in that chapter that's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 
Jesus talks in a very clear way, warning us not to behave a certain way, lest we lose our reward. He doesn't actually want us to lose our reward. So he is giving us sound counsel on how not to lose your reward, specifically in seeking horizontal honor from other people in this world for the good things you do. Mm -hmm. If you do that, he says three different times, you have received your reward in full. So he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hmm. He says the same thing about prayer. He says the same thing about fasting. With prayer, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same thing with fasting. Don't make it obvious to people that you're fasting. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Matthew 6 is the key. And it culminates in an amazing statement where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, hmm. where moth and rust destroy and thieves break it and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. What could be stored up in heaven but God's record of our good works done on earth? Nothing physical comes with us when we leave this world. Hmm. When we die, as Job said, naked I enter the world, naked I'll leave it. We can't bring anything with us. So what we are storing up in heaven is God's record of our good deeds. Now those good deeds must be done after conversion. Before conversion we have no good deeds. And all the unbelievers are doing every day, according to Romans 2, is storing up God's wrath mm. for the day of his wrath when his righteous indignation will be revealed. But once you've come to faith in Christ, you can begin your heavenly storage account. And that is good works done not to earn his righteousness or forgiveness, but just because you're pleasing him. We'll talk about criteria sure. in a moment. But, but you're storing up treasure in heaven and so what I would say is store up as much as you possibly can now there's a few other verses all the times that Paul talks about his crowns what is the crown in which I'll glory in the presence of the Lord when he comes is it not you mm -hmm. so the churches he planted are his crown those are rewards um, Jesus said in John chapter 12 um, whoever serves me must follow me and my father will honor the one who serves me that's incredible the father God the father will honor all who faithfully serve Jesus, that's rewards. Mm. And there are many other such verses. That's really helpful. You know, one passage, uh, Romans 2, 7, Paul says that we mm -hmm. should, by doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. Mm. What does that passage mean to you? That is a fascinating passage. And uh, I think if you look at that, he's talking about two different ways to live the non-Christian life or the Christian life. Mm. And he's describing the Christian life in a broad in a broad way saying to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory honor and immortality if that's how you live he'll give you eternal life now that doesn't mean we're justified by works he's saying that's the kind of life a christian lives that is a a way of looking at the christian life well look what he says they by persistence in doing good are seeking something what are they seeking three things glory honor and immortality if, he, if that's how you're living your life, you're a Christian. You're going, he's going to give eternal life to you. All right, well, if you look at those three things, glory, honor, and immortality, the key is the third one, immortality. 
We are not seeking that God would be immortal. He already is immortal. <laughs> so whose immortality are we seeking? Immortality is life beyond the grave. We're seeking our own. Like Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know um, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to live forever. I want to live beyond the grave. So you're seeking that. You're seeking to live forever. Mm. Um, and so the other two then are all self-referential. I'm seeking my own immortality, not God's. Therefore, I'm seeking my own honor and glory, not God's. All right. Now, again, when I say not God's, understand all glory belongs to God. We're going to talk about that. But he's talking about that I myself would be glorious mm. in heaven and that I myself would be honored in heaven. That's reward language. To be radiant and shining in heaven and to lead a life that God will praise or he will honor, as Jesus says in John 12, 24, my father will honor the one who serves me by persistence in doing good. So those are good works. Good mm. works is the basis of the reward. So yeah. by a lifestyle of good works, storing up treasure in heaven, that's what the Christian life looks like. Mm. Powerful passage. It is incredible. And that word honor, I think, is, is key. You've mentioned that before, just how we will be honored, also mm -hmm. honoring one another, but not worshiping sure. one another. Oh, yeah. And just some amazing truth for us to digest. Yeah. Just in that one passage there as well. I think it's important to meditate. I've meditated much on the difference between honor and worship. Worship goes to God. Mm -hmm. Him only shall you worship. He's the only one that works. But honor is very similar to worship. So it, it's a matter of esteem. It's a matter of understanding someone's story, understanding their attributes, what they've done. That includes God. Understand who he is, what his attributes are, what he's done, what his position is in the universe. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing for creative beings. All right. So we can give honor to other people. We should give honor to whom honor is due. The Bible teaches that. In heaven, all the more. We will see brothers and sisters who are shining with a great glory because of the way they live their lives. Mm -hmm. They are lavished with honors and rewards in heaven because of how they lived. And we will esteem them highly, but not worship them. Mm. Because all honor and glory ultimately goes up to God. And we will realize very plainly that everything we ever did in this world, we did through the power of God. We'll talk about that in a minute, I know. Mm -hmm. but, but fundamentally, we will give honor to other people, to brothers and sisters in Christ, in proportion to what they did, in proportion to how God has honored them. Wow. So... In the New Testament, then, what what do we see are the criteria for these rewards? You talked yeah, a little bit about important. that just a moment ago, but what, oh, yeah. what are the criteria? Yeah, that's really important. On what basis are the rewards given? What will God reward? It's mm -hmm. good to know that. Has he left us in the dark? No, he's not. Let's start with that um, amazing um, occasion when... Um, when James and John, or actually their mother on their behalf, I think they put her up to it, went and asked, remember the, the, the mother of James and John said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the. But Jesus answered them, not the mother, but James and John, you don't know what you're asking. Hmm. Then he said, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink. And they, not really knowing what it was, said, we can. Sure. But Jesus was referring to the cup of his suffering under the wrath of God, ultimately, as our, as our atoning sacrifice. Jesus then said, you will indeed drink from my cup. We will not drink his cup, but there will be drops of suffering that come from his cup. 
you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant it is for those for whom they are prepared by my Father. Then the ten were indignant. Then Jesus called them and gave them some criteria. <clears throat> you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So putting it all together, the drinking from the cup and all that, what God will reward on Judgment Day and beyond is suffering service for the benefit of others in the pattern of Christ. Laying down your life for others and being willing to suffer that others benefit. That's what he will reward. The greater the sacrifice and the greater the suffering, uh, the greater the service, then the greater the honor. And the more humble somebody is, the more lowly they are in their self-esteem, then the greater the honor. But we have to bring in one other thing. And I'm about to begin, God willing, on Sunday, uh, preaching through one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And he says amazingly in verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Hmm. So I don't get reward if I do even the greatest works, but with no love in my heart. There's no loving to me. And so what is love? Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. It, it, it's described there. So this is how I put it all together. Suffering, service, done with a loving demeanor, hmm. out of a heart of affection for the people you're serving. That's what God will reward, that combination. We could also add some other things. Anything that's not done by faith is sin. So you have to do it by faith. By that I mean in total reliance on Jesus and everything uh, that's done in obedience to his commands. So the things that, that we do in obedience to God's commands by faith in Jesus um, in proportion to suffering or difficulty it caused us and the way it benefited others and done with a loving demeanor, that's what God will reward. Hmm. Andy, you mentioned a little while ago crowns and I want to get there because that's kind of the next place that we're headed, but we do have a couple questions. And so okay. the first one's kind of related to what we just talked about with there being uh, differing uh, degrees of rewards based mm -hmm. on sacrifice. So the question is this, believe that the Bible teaches believers will receive different degrees of rewards based on their sacrifices and obedience, mm -hmm. as in 1 Corinthians. How do we reconcile this with passages like Matthew 20, mm -hmm. uh, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, mm -hmm which seems to value equality through God's mercy over individual labor. Right. So the way I, I do that is by saying, let me be honest with you, the rewards are like the last two or three or four percent of happiness and glory. Just simply being there. Just being in heaven. Just being there. Seeing the new Jerusalem. Seeing the new heaven and the new earth. Sitting at the table with the Lord and feasting, being able to walk in a resurrection body, free from death, mourning, crying, and pain, mm. in perfect fellowship with other redeemed brothers and sisters, and just being able to see it with resurrection eyes, that is equally given to every one of the redeemed. The thief on the cross, who's the, the worker in the vineyard, worked at the very end and did very little his whole life, <laughs> like pretty much nothing. And he gets to go to paradise? Yes, he does. And he gets to walk in a resurrection body and sit at the table and be welcomed by the Father as an adopted son and to be beloved and all that. That's the one denarius that everybody worked for. 
that basically you get the same, which is you get to go to heaven and not hell. Mm. And that is benefit for enough. But the rewards are an additional level of experience with God in heaven. So that's why I would say there's equality. All of us will equally enjoy just being there, um, but then, or e equally be there. But I think there are differing levels of capacity to enjoy it, which I think is essential to the, the, the varying levels of experience we'll have. I think that's really helpful. Uh, and one more question before we go on to talk about crowns. You mentioned rewards, as we defined rewards, being praise from God. Mm -hmm. So that definition, I think, is helpful. One question uh, that was submitted is about uh, Matthew 19, 28, sitting on thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. Does this indicate saints will receive authority as a reward? So maybe more to the specific nature of the sure. rewards we'll receive. One of the parables is the parable of the minas, and um, you know they get the parable of the talents in Matthew, five talent, two talent, one talent. But then this parable of minas, a similar teaching, but it's a different parable. And you're put in charge of ten cities. So it gives the feeling if there are different cities in the new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem just the capital city of a vast empire in the new earth mm. and there would be different levels of responsibility and so i think there actually will be um rulers and those that submit to their rule but corruption and tyranny and rebellion against that will be gone and so we will gladly submit to those over us and we will not lord it over those under us so i think there are varying levels of authority in the new heaven and the new earth um, but that's from nuances in these parables. That's the way you got to read that, that. That there's different levels of responsibility based on how faithful you were with little in this world. Faithful a little, you'll be faithful with much, and he gives you responsibilities. That's great. These are great questions. Feel free to continue sending those in. We do want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned uh, toward the beginning of our time in crowns. Okay. What are crowns? Um, and... Yeah, maybe just talk a little bit about sure. what we what we learn about these. Well, in in our in our culture in the world, uh, not so much our culture. We don't really have crowns. We don't have kings, but we know what they are, and we know that kings wear them. Queens wear crowns. Um, we know that that uh, those that that back in the day, back in in ancient Greece, there would be a victor's crown. These things are given for a simple reason: honor, to give evident honor to an individual. So the idea of crowns seems to be symbols. Symbols or emblems of honor that are given uh, to you based on certain achievements. Mm -hmm. So when Paul said, and I quoted it earlier, um, for what is my hope, my joy, and the crown in which I will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes, is it not you, he said to the Thessalonians, indeed you are our glory and joy. He also calls the Philippians his crown. So all of the churches he planted were crowns or perhaps jewels in a single crown. So I think it's a symbol of honor given um, by God. Uh, you can think of it this way. There are certain emblems or symbols uh, that are trappings of honor that give us a sense of the greatness of an individual. Remember in the story of, of the book of Esther. Mm. And you remember how uh, Mordecai saved King Xerxes' life. And this is when Haman was conspiring to kill Mordecai. You remember this whole story? Yep. And so the <laughs> night before you know, Haman's going to come in to ask for Mordecai's death. The king can't sleep and finds out the, the record, the annals, of how uh, Mordecai had saved his life. And so he asked one of his attendants there, was anything ever done for him? He said, no. So then when Haman comes into that next morning to ask, can I kill Mordecai, before he can get a word out of his mouth, 
The king asks rather obliquely, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, Haman thinks, well, who does the king want to honor more than me? So I said, this is what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Put one of the king's robes on him, put, put you know, like a crown on his head, have him ride on a steed the king himself has ridden, and parade him around in front of the city saying, this is what is done for the man whom the king delights to honor. So when I think of crowns, I think of emblems by which the Lord says, this is an individual I delight to mm -hmm. honor. All right. Now, that's not the full story in crowns, though, is it? Because the 24 elders have crowns, and so they are emblems that God has given, and they have the right to wear them. They belong to the elders. But whenever they want to give praise and glory to God, what do they do? They get down from their thrones, and they cast their crowns down or throw them down before God, effectively saying, everything I achieved, of which this crown, this beautiful crown which you've mm -hmm. given me, is an emblem, you did that good work in me. There's no part of my reward that's not a subset of God's glory. That's the key. There's no independent glory, honor, and immortality. There's no independent from God. It's not in competition with God. All of the glory with, with which we will shine and the specific honors given to us for good works, we are going to say, like it says in, in Isaiah, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Or again, in John 3, Jesus said, whoever does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Why? So that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Mm -hmm. So everything we get rewarded for, we are going to cast the crowns or the medals or the, or the honors before God and say, everything I did, you worked it in me. And again, John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. We will know that better in heaven than we know it now. Mm. So every one of our honors, we're going to give glory to Christ and say, you work this in and through me. So. Mm. What a helpful reminder, even even now, to look at our life and think, this is this is not in my own shame. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. How... how, how we work towards these. How, how do we even accomplish these rewards? But, um, you know, a passage that we've talked about before, 1 Corinthians 15, 41, star differs from star in splendor, in glory. How do rewards connect with that verse? Right, okay, so we've already hinted at it a number of times. Let's be honest. We go back to suffering service. Not everyone suffered equally for Christ. You just didn't. All you have to do is know a little about, a church, about church history and you realize there's some brothers and sisters that literally died for the gospel. They literally laid down their lives. And Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, he said, if you do what I command you. And he laid down his life for us. But then at some point, he gives a certain small percentage of his children the opportunity to lay down their lives for him. And so the willingness to literally die, I mean, not just die to yourself or die because something's difficult or die to go as a missionary, but, but to actually die for the gospel, uh, like Stephen did. You think about how Jesus himself was was standing, waiting to welcome him into heaven. We just have to feel that the brothers and sisters that literally died for the gospel, died giving testimony to Jesus, are are going to be honored in ways that others who didn't shed their blood for Jesus, um, that they didn't. So there's greater capacities. Also, there are others that didn't, they weren't martyrs, but they, they just relentlessly, faithfully, in, in very difficult settings, served Christ 
day after day in ways that we have a hard time even carrying their shoes. Think about Adoniram Judson. He didn't die as a martyr, um, but he just served faithfully for decades in a very, very difficult setting. Or you think about George Mueller who cared for, for orphans. He didn't die as a martyr. Um, he lived a, a, to a ripe old age. But every single day he laid it out. He laid himself out every day to care for those orphans by fundraising, by, in his own unique way, interesting pattern of fundraising, but he did it by preaching and by teaching and by leading, etc. He just lived at a higher energy level and a higher level of sacrifice. And so you just have to feel there are just different gradations of, of um, sacrificial, loving service to Christ. Along with that comes, I think, turning the whole thing around. I believe that the essence of reward is a shared relationship with God over the, over the event. Hmm. You know, one of the most famous verses on rewards in the Bible is, um, well done, good and faithful servant. Many Christians know that expression. They say, I'm, I'm just living for that. Well, that's good. That's right down Main Street of what the reward is. Remember we said it's praise from God. Well, that's an example of God praising you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it looks like. Well, here's why we should want the reward. Don't we as loving children want to please our Father? Make Him happy. Doesn't every dutiful son or daughter want to please his or her mom or dad? You know, I want to please my, my dad. I love my dad. I want him to be happy with me. Why wouldn't God want that? He openly says we should find out what pleases the Lord. And then isn't it wonderful that when we have done what pleases him, he says to us, well done, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with you. So therefore, he says, listen to what he says in Matthew, in the parable of the, of the talents. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Then he says, enter into the joy of your master. Hmm. That's the essence of the reward. A shared joy between us and God over a specific moment in time. Something you did when you went into your room and closed the door and prayed to your father's unseen, he never forgot that. Or when you gave a cup of cold water to a servant of Christ to help him along in his ministry. Or when you did anything he commanded you to do and it was difficult to be a, a godly Christian mother raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or a godly Christian father. You're doing all kinds of hundreds of hidden things that no one ever sees. God sees it. And for him to bring you into his own joy over that, as you look back at what you did, you say, well, I'll forget. No, 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 remember, God will show it to us. So you remember when you did that? I was so pleased with that. Share it. Let's share it. The joy of God, that is a shared experience in heaven. The question is, how many of those shared experiences do you want? Store up as much of them as you can. Have a rich, full, heavenly experience. One final thing. I think it's got to do with a capacity for appreciating and taking in the glory of God. The more we serve Him now and grow in holiness and put sin to death and, and develop a, a taste for heavenly joys, the more we will enjoy in heaven. The measure you use on earth will be the measure you receive in heaven. So the capacity for heavenly joy, that's also a big part of the essence of our experience in heaven. To that point, how, how did Jonathan Edwards' insights from Heaven is a World of Love fit mm -hmm. into your understanding of these varying levels of mm -hmm. heavenly rewards? Well, he just, it's amazing what he assumes there, and he's just so far beyond where we are in meditating, or he was when he was writing that, he's way beyond where he was writing it because he's there now. <laughs> but, um, but for him to, to really unfold how there will be differing levels of, of glory. 
and how those lower in glory will not be jealous or envious of those higher than them in glory. And those higher than them in glory will not lord it over those below them in glory. You know, if you look at it, the whole thing comes, heaven is a world of love, comes at the end of his expository messages on 1 Corinthians 13. If you go earlier uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love at the end, because Paul talks about love at the end. He says, now we know in part, then we'll know fully, even as we have been fully known. He's talking about heavenly joys and, and love. Earlier, though, he says, love does not envy, love does not boast. Well, that'll be perfected in heaven. There'll be no envying in heaven, and there'll be no boasting in heaven, horizontally. Over, We're not going to say, I've got all these, and look at what you've got. That will not happen. Because the, the most eminent saints in heaven, Edward says, will be those closest to God uh, in humility. They will be humbled by their proximity to God. They will know better than anyone else how infinitely greater God is than themselves. And so they will be perfectly humble and delightful to be around, and they will not lord it over anybody. And then those below them will think, with the mind of Christ, we will think they deserve it, and it is right for them to receive the honors that God has given. And we will not be jealous because God gave them those honors, and we see the justice of it, and, and it will be reasonable. So heaven is a world of love is an explosive way of looking at life. And then it, it causes me to say, I should delight in other people's future rewards as much as I can. So as a pastor, my number one goal for all of you that are watching the live stream tonight or any of you ever hear me preach on heaven or talk about it is to have you be as rich as you possibly can in heaven. Mm. And if you were to come back and say, Pastor, what if that means I'm, I'm, I have more honor and more glory than you? I'd be like, great, that's awesome. Now, I shouldn't be lazy. I should store up as much treasure as I can as I run my race, my heavenly race. But honestly, if somebody else ends up much further than me in heavenly glory because they listened to my teaching and ran with it better than I ever did, mm. in heaven I will be perfectly delighted in that. Think about what an impact that would have in our marriages, our families, our relationship with co-workers. Mm -hmm. Just to have that mindset, like, I desire that you be maximally rich on Judgment Day as well, it changes everything. It is. It I think that's what love is. Yeah. I think love is a horizontal, even to an enemy, there's nothing attractive in the enemy. The non-Christian persecutor. You know, think Nebuchadnezzar, think Herod, whatever. There's nothing amiable or beautiful about that person. But what love is, love for enemy is, I really, truly desire your best. Hmm. I want you to have eternal glory in heaven. I really yearn. Like William Tyndale, uh, who translated the Bible into English and uh, is responsible for, I think, 80% of the verbiage of the King James Version in the New Testament. Incredible scholar, mm. and much in the Old Testament, too. Uh, he was hunted down by King Henry VIII, who was, a, a f you know, he was opposed to the Reformation, though he broke off from Rome. Uh, he was not in favor of the Reformation. So he hunted Tyndale down, and eventually his henchmen found him and killed him. And as he was dying... Tyndale's last words were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And just that kind of like Stephen, just don't hold this sin against him, to have a heavenly perspective and really yearn for what's best for even a persecuting enemy. Now that's what love really is. Wow. So how are our rewards linked to our enjoyment of God and of heaven? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we're just covering that a moment ago, and I think what it is is, uh, the ability to enter into the joy of God in specific actions that we did. For example, 
let's say you have money that God is leading you by the Spirit to give to the church or to missionary, to a Christian ministry or something. And you're holding back, but then, you know, you just say, all right, by faith I'm going to give it, and I want to store up treasure in heaven. I'm not going to let the left hand know what my right hand is doing. And you were to stop, and somebody would say, well, why are you doing that? I said, my reason for doing that is to benefit the people that these folks are, mm -hmm. that are going to receive the money. But ultimately, it's that I want God to be pleased with me. I want him, and not only that, but I want to experience that pleasure. I want to step into God's pleasure in the good work that I'm doing. And so the more of that we can store up, the better. What's also going to happen is we're going to be so free from selfishness and self in heaven, we're going to delight in other people's experiences too. We're going to be able to see God's intimacy with somebody uh, on some other issue and, and know what they did and say, it is so beautiful that they can share that delight together. So I think this perspective changes everything in the way we live our lives now. In line with rewards, as we think about, okay, let's say I'm a little less squeamish now than I was at the beginning of our hopefully. time, yeah. hopefully, <laughs> right? And, and I'm thinking, okay, um, how should I think about pursuing these rewards? Yeah. I, an insight that you've had that's really helpful is this idea of grace and its relation to rewards. Mm -hmm. So how are rewards all by grace. Okay. Well, fundamentally, we need to understand every good and perfect gift we've ever gotten, James 1.17. Um, every, uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, mm. Ephesians 1. Every good thing we have now or will have in eternity has been given to us by grace through the blood of Christ. All of them are blood-bought. We deserve condemnation in hell. We do not deserve rewards. We'll never deserve them. They are given, all of them, as gifts of God, God's grace, and they are all of them blood-bought. So I, I'm reminded, and we talked about this uh, before the live stream, of um, a prophet, a godly prophet, during the, uh, the, the son of King Ahab, I forget his name, Joram, or something like that, one of these wicked kings, I forget his name. But uh, I think this was might have been Elisha, I don't know, but he, he said, uh, and he was sitting, the two kings, king of the northern kingdom of Israel, wicked, idolatrous kingdom, and king of the southern king, uh, kingdom of Judah was Jehoshaphat. He said, were it not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look at you or notice you, he said to this wicked man. Well, I actually think it's good for us to be humbled by the gospel and, and basically hear from God the Father. I want you to know. Were it not for the actions of Jesus, your mediator, mm. I would not even look at you or notice you. And so, honestly, to swim in that, in that understanding of Christ and his work, then you realize every gift we have is by grace. So, the ability to do spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are called grace from God being positioned in certain settings so that you can do good works, mm -hmm. having money to give to the poor and needy, having the ability to articulate Christian doctrine with the gift of teaching, having the ability to open your home with hospitality, to even have a home that you can bring people in. Mm -hmm. All of these things are gifts of God, God's grace. Frankly, you can never get ahead of God's grace. Everything you do puts you actually more in debt to God's grace. Mm -hmm. So honestly, everything, all of it is of God's grace. So Andy, as we think about heaven, we think about rewards, 
maybe maybe some practical handles. How can mm-hmm. this concept help us to live our lives now more for the glory of God? I think we should think about this every moment of the day. Every single moment of the day, mm-hmm. we should think, I want to store up more treasure in heaven today. Mm-hmm. And the treasure is, I want God to be pleased with me in what I'm doing right now. Isn't that what it means to be a child of God, pleasing to the Lord, that we would just at every moment. And so some moments are going to be more mundane and other moments are going to be more glorious and amazing. So life is made up of a lot of menial tasks. So a lot of us are, are sheltering at home. There's dishes to be washed. Um, there's there's clothing, clothing to fold. There's children to care for. There's There's a lot of little mundane things. But whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, if you do it for the glory of God, it's rewardable. It's rewardable. I like what it says, you know, in the passage about gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw. Well, the wood, hay, and straw gets burned up and it's gone. These are those are sins and worthless things that that have no value at all on Judgment Day. But then you've got gold and silver and gemstones of various, I would say, preciousness. So doesn't that speak of a gradation of rewards, of things that, some things are just, like if you wash dishes to the glory of God, thankful for the dishes, having a a song in your heart that you're humming, your children maybe see you happy as you're doing the menial chore, done them more times than you could count. You could look at this bowl and say, how many times have I washed this bowl in my life? It's just countless. Yet another time I'm washing this bowl. Maybe that's silver compared to gold. (laughs) And then the gold is something that takes more sacrifice, it's more of yourself, it takes more effort, whatever. And then those gemstones are some few times in your life where you really suffered and served and sacrificed in some significant way for the kingdom of God. And there's, there's a handful of those, those diamonds that are glittering in your, in your crown. So there's all kinds of good things we can do. But I think, go back to Romans 2, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. Or Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. So you can't say to the Lord, like, how much of my day should I spend storing up? Every <laughs> moment of, of your life, you should be wow. seeking to please God such that he would be, express that to you in heaven. What a beautiful truth. And it helps us as we think of from the, the cup of cold water given mm-hmm. in love and kindness to giving one's life mm-hmm. for the cause of Christ yes. and everything in between done for the glory of God. Yeah. It's valuable. It is valuable, but we shouldn't be jealous of those that are positioned for greater honor than us. Hmm. Um, Very, very few um, Christians will ever be literally martyrs. martyrs, Very few. Hmm. It's a position of honor, and it's chosen by God, etc. And again, Jesus said, the places at my right and my left are not for me to give, Jesus said. They belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So God prepares, chooses somebody, they're born, they live a certain life, He positions them, they're faithful, they serve, they get honored. Mm. And so ultimately it comes down to the the sovereign will of God in all of this. Wow. Well, I hope that this has been encouraging to you. I know for my own heart, it's it's encouraging to meditate on these themes and be reminded of how we can live our lives for the glory of God. And Andy, I'm grateful for your work in thinking through these things and excited for what's to come, excited for more conversations and to read the book. I'm looking forward to, to the day that we get to walk through that. But Would you pray for us and for those who are with us this evening as we close? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this uh, this medium of live streaming. 
I thank you for Wes and for the friendship we have in the Lord, and I thank you for the partnership we have. I pray that the things that we've said that are beneficial and helpful and scripturally accurate would, would take root in the hearts of those that listened. And uh, those things that are, are not helpful and or not true or are chaff, blow them away, let them have no impact. We pray that ultimately we would live every moment of our lives for your glory mm. and for our own joy and delight in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.